You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So we are in the second half of our sexuality series, God's Design for Sexuality. And uh, it's uh, quite a series. The... We're again doing the question thing. We've done this each week, and we've gotten a lot of questions. Uh, we, and so we take all of those really seriously, and we'll be answering a number of them today. And we've got the forums coming up. And uh, we'll also put out a document as we finish this up with some short answers in there in reference to things we're doing here. And when I put together this sermon, thinking about uh, God's design uh, for good sex, I'm thinking about Elizabeth, my almost 12-year-old granddaughter. She'll turn 12 on November 1st. And what I was thinking about is, uh, if I were talking directly to her, what would I want to say? And wow, would I want to say it? Because uh, Elizabeth, she was back in Kansas City, and you know, just, you know, ain't she cute? <laughs> I'm not prejudiced or anything, but she, she's really cute. She comes in a world where this is what is handed to her. This is girl's life. And you see how it does fall fashion you'll love. 100 plus ways to slay on the first day. Confessions. My first kiss. Real girls smooch and spill. Or your dream hair. Next level tips and trends. Because how your hair looks defines everything about you. Now I'll just say... If that's your favorite magazine, you're my enemy. (laughs) And that is trash. Because what it's saying is your identity is determined by your ability to flirt, to sexualize, to be suggestive, and all that kind of stuff. Well, there was an illustrator that said he had the same kind of response I did, and he put together another, what could have been done on girls' life with the same theme. And you see the difference. Instead of fall fashion, it's girls doing good a hundred plus ways to help others in your community. That's actually where Elizabeth is, I'm glad to say. Instead of confessions, it's my first miss, speaking to confidence, miss the big shot and still win. I like that message. I like that message. Instead of your dream hair, it's your dream career. Next level planning and goals. And when I think of Olivia Holt, steal her secrets, and compare that to Olivia Hallisley, 2015 Google Science Fair Grand Prize winner, you could be next. Well, that's the world that we live in, and that's where it's being the God's design for good sex. Because there is good sex, even the, the Girl's Life magazine is nonsense, in my judgment. And that's what we look at. So, everything begins on the first three pages of the Bible, so if we're going to go there. So, Genesis chapter 2 It's talking there about the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And you should ask, well, why not? And of course, you all know the answer, don't you? Couldn't find his socks. That's why. No, it's, it's because they couldn't carry out God's design for them as just a man by himself or just a person by himself. So it's not good for a man or for any human to be alone. We're designed for relationship, we're designed for community, 
Just like God himself in his Trinitarian form is essentially communal, essentially other-centered, we in his image are like that. It's not good for a man or a human to be alone. It goes on, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took a rib from his side and closed up that place. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she's taken out of man. So bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, what does that mean? That means that Eve is out of Adam's side as helper. Now helper doesn't mean, hey babe, grab me some tea while you're coming over. It's not that kind of helper, though it's not a bad thing. Well, demand it's a bad thing. Helper here is somebody strong who can compliment you to get the job done. And a man without a woman or a woman without a man cannot be fruitful and multiply, cannot rule and build beautiful communities, as the Great Commission calls us. So there comes out of, they're both human, and as Jay said last time, they're both human, equal, but not the same. They're equal but different. And that's that complementarity between male and female that's essential to our godly design. He goes on. Last two verses of the passage. That's why a man leaves his father and mother, united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, that's not speaking to Adam and Eve, of course, because Adam and Eve didn't have a mommy or daddy. That's the pattern of Adam and Eve coming down to all subsequent generations, including ours. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And look at that. In that marital relationship, marriage is the place where there is reconnection of the equal but different humans. For those who are hearing this online, the PowerPoint can be downloaded, and yes, there are 126 slides, and you need to look at every single one of them. (laughs) Adam and Eve come apart in the formation of the woman, and in the marriage and sexual act, they come back together in that one flex sexual relationship is what this is talking about. But this relationship is a special relationship. There are many communal relations, but this one is where one man and one woman, husband and wife for life. And it's not just husband and wife. It's the kind of relationship they have. They're naked and unashamed. And I look at the relationship that Sherry and I have, and there are shameful things about me. No, Sherry, you can't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) But these are places where I can open up the shameful things in my life to Sherry because I know she's completely for me, and I don't have to be ashamed of the shameful stuff in my life. I can open up to that deep intimacy of a of a wife who loves me and is committed an eye to her when that comes up for her. We're created to rule, create, uh, and to relate. Now, I'm not going to go into the fact that marriage is created for procreation, for children, because the mean people around here only gave me 35 minutes for this sermon. But it's a reality that marriage is, a primary design of marriage is for children, and for many that doesn't happen. I just sat with one of my students uh, 
a young pastor, he and his wife have been trying, hoping for children for a good bit of time, and it hasn't happened yet. Don and Susan, my older son and his wife, finally gave up of ever being able to have children in the great, great agony of that because they're awesome parents, and God stepped in, and now they've got Susan and Michael. Thanks be to God for that. It's amazing. Humans are longing for love and communion. We're designed for it. We're not designed to be autonomous individuals, not designed to be by ourselves. We're not designed just for buddies. We're designed for love and communion, that deep, intimate interaction. We're designed for community, friendship, David and Jonathan, deep friends, not gay, but deep friendship, family. I just think how important family is. Just think again as things get tough. Jay McKinney, his brothers are flying up here. His dad, without family, what would it be like to go through what he's going through? You rejoice together, you cry together. The affection, the wholeness, the self-transcendence to know and be known intimately. We have that huge longing for somebody to care enough to want to know what's going on inside us. Somebody I can trust enough to open up my deepest self to and have it be a reciprocated two-way kind of thing. That's, we all long for it. We all long for it. To be accepted in our fragile vulnerability. We long for that. It's built into us. There are many relationships, many intimate relationships. Marriage is one of those, and it's certainly not the only one. I hear people say, well, if I can't have, if I can't have sex, if I can't be married, I, I'm going to be tortured. No, I mean, there is something unique and special there. But the deep friendships are also incredibly important. Sherry and I have a good relationship, but she needs girls to giggle with, and I need... I need people to wrestle with. We need more than just the two of us. I don't mean wrestle like on the ground. I mean intellectual wrestling. <laughs> I just had to thought about what I said there. <laughs> God and sexuality. So we've looked at Genesis chapter 2. The two shall become one flesh, naked and not ashamed. But there's another passage that intrigues me. It's Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. And it says there, I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh and my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. Clearly, sexual imagery going on there. Who's singing the song? Who's singing the song? This song of love and delight. Well, it's the happy groom. Okay. That's really obvious. What about the next line? What about the next line? Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. Who's singing that song? I don't think it's his buddies from the gym. Who's singing that song? That song of blessing upon their marital love. I think it's a happy God who's saying, that's what I want. Deep, joyous intimacy in a marriage relationship as it should be, and God is saying, yes. I like that picture. See, sexuality is God's very good creation 
for his humans. And not just the sexual activity within marriage, but the other kinds of relationships, but uniquely that sexual relation within marriage. So, as I ponder this, I want to know about God's design for sex. We've looked at a few passages, and you probably know some others. Is God's design for sex a pleasurable, whole person, bonding experience between a husband and a wife to express, confirm, and deepen their marital intimacy? Okay, that's option one. Option two, is God's design for sexuality a pleasurable, recreational activity between consenting adults? One, whole person bonding experience between husband and wife to express, confirm, and deepen their marital intimacy, or two, a pleasurable recreational activity for consenting adults. Shall we take a vote? That number two, which is the song that's sung in so many places, is so completely wrong. It's not a recreational activity. It's not an animal passion. It's designed to be something far more powerful than that. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. He quotes the Genesis 2 passage that we've seen several times, and it's quoted other places in the scripture as well, including by our Lord. But he adds on something really interesting. He says, this is a profound mystery, and my, 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 is marriage a profound mystery? But, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. And see what he's saying here is that somehow, 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 that deep sexual intimacy, that connection, that reconnection within a marriage act of sex is a picture of Christ and his church. That intimacy is a sacramental signpost to the greatest intimacy of Christ and his church. And it goes both ways, because Christ coming to us in his vulnerability and his humiliation and self-sacrifice is a pattern for marriage, and our relationship within our marriage, including the sexual relationship, is a pattern of that deeper, far greater intimacy that we have with Christ, that we just have the first tastes of now. But those tastes are very, very, very sweet, as we sang about earlier in our service. But he didn't stop there. He talks about attitudes in marriage as he finishes up chapter 5. However, each one of you, speaking to husbands here at this particular point, must love his wife as he loves himself. And so Jesus is giving himself for the church. A husband is giving himself, loving his wife as he loves himself, as he nurtures and cherishes and gives up his privileges for the sake and development of his wife. And the wife must respect her husband. It's a giving relationship. It's a serving relationship. It's a helping relationship within that. John Tyson at City of the, the Church of the City in New York is a profound spokesman on this area. He's done a series back there. He did a series at Bridgetown here in Portland and just did a lecture down at Reality San Francisco and I've had a chance to get acquainted with him. Amazing man of God. 
and I just, I'm profiting from his work as I do this. If sex is dirty, which frankly is what I was told, not told specifically, but certainly the atmosphere of the church I grew up in, sex is dirty. So what you should do is repress my desires to achieve purity. You know, the, the mantra is, sex is dirty, save it for the one you love. That's weird. But that was the attitude that was there. And I find this a lot of places is that we just have this idea, sex is dirty. So if that's true, then what I need to do is get moral standards. No, no, no. Plus some really good willpower and we'll get purity. How's it working for you? The other possibility, God designed for sex is for my fun. If that's true, then I must indulge my desires to be fulfilled. And anything that says I can't indulge my desires is actually repressive, bigoted, and dangerous. God is the great spoil sport. So in this case, desire plus consent is fulfillment. So I get out my apps and swipe right on the Amazon of people to hook up with. What does Paul say? In a profound statement of 1 Corinthians 6 that Jay took us to part of it last week, I have, done the, I have the right to do anything, you say. Is that the mantra of our society? Anything, as long as there's consent. I have that right. But not everything is beneficial. Some things are hurtful. I have a right to do anything. But I'll not be mastered by anything. And the addictiveness of illicit sex is easily chronicled. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. That's porneia, any activity outside of marriage. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body, Flee then, he says, from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. One who sins sexually sins against his body. When I misuse the sexual gift, I sin against myself as well as the other person. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, you receive God. You're not your own. Your body's bought with price. Therefore, serve God with your bodies. And that's where the, well, leave me a third option here. Because I think number two is completely wrong. Sex is not designed for fun. Well, it is. But not for, it's, it's a, a marital fun. For joy, really. And I'd also like to suggest to you the sex is dirty is completely wrong. Oh, we can dirty it, to be sure, but that's not its design. The third option, and you've heard it already, God's gift for intimacy. And in this case, if we follow God's design, I must focus my passions. I must exercise the spiritual gift of self-control for investment to be formed into a Christ-like person because those deep desires and how I use them will shape me as a person 
depending on how I use them. I will be habituated into a character and a lifestyle out of that. So in this case, and this is John Tyson's phrase, vision plus power plus practice equals joyful delight. That's God's design in sexuality. Pondering a bit. I ponder everything, as you know. Deep godly intimacy comes in friendship, family, and church. And I relish all of those. I relish them alongside the marriage that Sherry and I have. But the thing of it is, if I take those beautiful relationships and I bring sex into those relationships, other than marriage, I ruin them. I ruin them. Think of this. Yeah, oh, my pretty wife snuggling Michael when he was here back at Christmas. I think that was at Izzy's, and he was just feeling punk. And Sherry snuggled him, and we thought it'd be over in like 15 seconds because he was hungry. No way, man. He liked being snuggled big time. Bring sex into that, and what happens? If you've been following the Oregonian this week, you've seen Tanya Humphrey, Tanya uh, Culver Humphrey, the father of the founder of Mercy Corps, in the abuse that she went through. It's a horror story. Though right now her courage to stand up has been a story of beauty, really. You never bring her being sex into that relationship. Just this past weekend, Joy and Nicole, Nicole's 19th birthday present was a trip to Portland to go to a concert and hang out and do some fun stuff, and their friend Hannah in the middle... I love those girls, especially two of them. If I bring sex into that relationship at any point, it destroys that relationship. We want to keep the beauty of things. First Thessalonians 4, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality. Again, that's the porneo word. That each of you should learn to control your own body. That's the focus. That's the self-control in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like the pagans who do not know God, and that's what we're hearing in our society, and that this, no matter one, should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister, because the narrative of consent, I am actually taking advantage of another human being. All sexual activity outside of marriage is porneia, that's that sexual morality, and it defiles me, the person I act with, and the gift of sex itself. That's God's word. Now we're going to do some questions here, and I'll just say we've got discussion forums coming up next Sunday. Uh, we'll start after first service, so during this service, there'll be a, a forum going on down in what we call the great room down the hall here, and then again on November 3rd, we'll have another one up in the student center, and you're welcome to come. Those will be wide open, you know, Started to say no holds barred, but that's not quite true. Here's one of the questions we've gotten. Uh, if you know you're going to marry your partner, boyfriend or girlfriend, and are not married yet, is it still wrong to have sex with them? Well, what's the definition of sex? Whole person bonding experience between husband and wife. Are they husband and wife yet? No. No. So, of course, it's wrong. Well, what's wrong with it? We're going to get married. But the thing is, you're not. And see, what you're saying with your body is you really can't trust me to follow God's design. And what will happen six years later when marriage is a little tense 
and one of the partners is on a business trip, the other is wondering, I wonder if they're down in the bar. I wonder if they're turning on stuff in the room. I wonder if they're going to a strip joint. I wonder if they're hooking up with a coworker or whatever, because you, trust is the whole point. And see, if you're not following God's design, where's the trust? Where's the trust? Another question. What, given the multiple polygamous biblical figures, is the biblical stance on open relationships? Well, Jay talked about this last week. There are polygamous people like David. How did it work out for him? Disaster! You know, my gosh, no. Follow the biblical thing. So what's the answer? Open relationships? Don't do it. It's a disaster. Uh, There you go. Is it a sin to masturbate? We got this question in several different forms. And it's an obvious question. I mean, it's, it's, it's really high on the list because many people, men and women, are doing masturbation. Is it a sin? Well, the simple thing, the Bible never lists it as sin. There are all kinds of sexual things, in, especially in the Old Testament, Leviticus, that are named specifically as sin. Masturbation is not one of them. I don't think it's a new issue. To me, that's very significant that masturbation itself is not the sin, but... Ten Commandments. What does it say? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. What does that mean? It means I begin thinking about what it would be like to have sex with her. I wish she were my wife instead of the one I've got or whatever. We start fantasizing. God says don't do it. Why not? It destroys the marriage. It destroys the gift of sex. Proverbs. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. Is that saying her beauty is a bad thing? No, it's not at all. What is it saying? When you start fantasizing and imagining, you defile yourself and their relationship. Don't do it, the proverb writer says. Matthew chapter 5, our Lord. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Yep, right out of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. And now note, in his heart, he's not committed adultery. Some have said, well, I've already fantasized, so I may as well do it because they're both the same. No, they're not the same. No, they're not the same. They are not. Jesus is not saying that. What he's saying is you can't say it's okay because I'm not actually having the act of sex if I'm fantasizing because the fantasizing we saw in the Old Testament is sin. It's your imaginations. It's that internal harem that's a form of adultery. And Jesus is very clear about that. So, Lust is defiling sin. Pornography, when you combine pornography with masturbation, you are letting your brain marinate in the horrible, violent, degrading, misogynist slosh of pornography. Somebody asked, can we watch porn in the bedroom together for a husband and wife? Why would you want to? It's defiling, it's evil stuff. Well, it gives us better sex. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Not really. If he does it, that's God's design. It doesn't. Oh, it gets me turned on. Your wife should, your husband should turn you on. Work on it. See, when you put that, it's a substitute, and it's defiling. It's degrading. Oh, it feels good. No, it doesn't. Not in the long run. No. Biggest thing about masturbation is the lone thing. What is designed for connection is now a single thing. And it's lonely. Speaking from a male perspective, though, pornography or uh, 
masturbation of both genders, uh, seems to me that for men, especially young men, many times the sexual tension is released in a wet dream, and those are always bad, always. So my suggestion is, and this is Gary speaking, is masturbation can be a release of sexual tension, but not with pornography, not with fantasizing somebody else. Focus on yourself, don't let it master you, schedule it so you're in charge of what happens and use it as a release for sexual tension. It's a lone thing, it's not the best thing, but there may be worse things. Remember the picture of sex? It's a sacrament, signpost to the greatest intimacy. It's sinful, but masturbation as a substitute for marital sex, no matter what, no matter what. It can never be a substitute for marital sex. So, this is one of the questions. The Bible says we should not masturbate, but if our mate is incapacitated, it's still wrong. What's the problem with the question? The Bible didn't say it's a sin. So let's use another question that came in that was asking the same question in a different way. If a spouse is unable to participate sexually due to a health issue, is it okay to do it to yourself? Masturbation. And what I'd like to suggest to you is you can have a very, very, very good relationship, sexual relationship, without actual genital sex. I know a couple who, for almost the first decade of their marriage, were unable to have normal sex. As we talk about, they had a very active and fulfilling sex life without ever having genital sex. There are lots of ways to have that sexual relationship as husband and wife. Do not let masturbation become a substitute for marital sex, seems to me. How about a married couple who can't achieve good sex? And one of the questions related to that was, my spouse and I have sex infrequently, and I struggle with that. What does the Bible say about meetings and needs? I'll give you 100 to 1. That was a guy that wrote that question. <laughs> Just say it. See, the thing of it is, if you have anything like this, get help. book I suggest is Sheet Music. And I love the picture. Kevin Lehman has a sense of humor, but he's also really good about what he does. He wrote a book called Sex Begins in the Kitchen as well. Get some help. Read the book together. Talk to somebody, a pastor, a counselor, a friend, and get some help. You don't have to struggle in your aloneness. You just need to get some help. Is any time sex activity permissible for a marital, married couple? And the answer is, if it's something that's mutually desired and mutually acceptable and can be a delight to each other and a sacrament to God, the answer is yes. Can you use sex toys in the bedroom? No. That's not delighting each other. That's bringing that's bring something else, it seems to me. But I think there's a lot of variation in sexual activity as long as it's mutually accepted and mutually pleasurable. The question, of course, is, is it sinful? That's not the question. The central question is, who am I becoming by my imaginations and my actions? See, that's the question. That's the question. Because your imaginations and your activities shape your character, you become habituated in that, and that shapes your life and your desires. What you practice will be fulfilling. That's the call that comes. Worship team, you want to come join me up here? As disciples in the community of Christ, we seek and show 
And I'm speaking here to disciples of Christ. I'm not talking to people who don't follow Jesus, but I think it's good for everyone. As disciples in Christ, because we follow God's design for sexuality, we show faithfulness and fidelity in a world of availability and indulgence. See, that's part of the reason that girl's life was so repulsive to me. Because the girl is saying, oh, I'm so available. We show respect for people, not commodification and abuse. We show acceptance, healing, and grace in a culture of deceit, cheating, and contempt. We show serving and giving rather than taking and using. Because we believe in God's design for sex, we really do. This has been a difficult week for me, partly because just so stuff I think about this, but partly God just brought some stuff into my week. It just, it was a difficult week. Just seeing some of the disastrous things that happen when you don't follow God's design. John Tyson talked about kintsugi art. It's a Japanese art form. Since I heard it from him, I've looked at it a lot on the internet. It's amazing stuff. What you do, you take something that's broken and you put it back together. And you do it in beautiful ways, kintsuki art. And this is one of the pieces. It's just, it's one of many. And the beauty of it is the reconstruction, and the reconstruction becomes beautiful. I met a woman who was broken this week. This isn't her picture, but it could have been. The artist is Mathurin. He's a Parisian Artist, I don't know anything about him. I tried to find out what I could. She was thrown aside, thrown away. Life on the streets with all the horrors associated with that for a number of years. Instead of being a little girl protected by her daddy and her mommy, she was thrown out to the wolves. the horrors of it. She met Jesus after several years and I met her as a godly woman, but the, the kintsuki is that God takes what is broken with all the scars and all the things really that and turns it into something beautiful. And those scars that are so painful show the power of God's healing that shame that you don't ever want to talk about can become a sacrament of his glory. And that's what we want to talk about here at Grace and all the stuff that happens, all the brokenness, all the shame around sexuality. You don't have to be stuck in the brokenness because Jesus can break every chain. He is indeed good and his ways are good. And coming back to his ways, if you've been away from that, that he delights in. One of the questions came up is, well, we're living together already. What should we do? 
And my suggestion is this, commit to being faithful, recommit to celibacy, recommit to trust in God's design for sexuality, do it openly, do it with each other, and come back into God's way. See, the thing of it is, it's never too late to change and come back to God's way, and he'll help. The people of God will help. Oh, you guys do shame guilt on me. No, we won't. I mean, you may feel some guilt, but we'll help you with that too. We just delight in seeing people restored and whole. Prayer teams are still off here. Jay and others will be out at the elder table. There's some resources at the back for them next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power of your grace. Thank you for the glory that it brings into even scarred, shameful places, and they radiate, radiate your goodness. Jesus, thank you for dying for forgiveness for all of the sin, sin done to us as well as sins that we've done, to bring us new life. Holy Spirit, expose those places where your grace is needed and give us courage to go there. Unify us with the good message that Jesus is alive and brings hope and healing for all. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.